Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And as they, as you are turning there, kids, if you're a child up through uh, fourth grade, we would invite you to leave now and we'll have a special time of teaching that is focused around your age. Thank you to those of you who will be helping to teach. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be one under the chair in front of you. And we will be on page 667, page 667. We will be looking there at a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Wonderful to hear so many of you here this morning and and singing. To God, what a privilege that is. Before we read the text, just a a little bit of introduction. Uh, One of the essential ingredients for life is something, especially here in Arizona, that we probably rarely think much about. We're so used to it. And it's, that's sunlight, of course. Sometimes we wish it wasn't working so well, right? We would be unable to survive as human beings without sunlight. Just think of the things that the sun does for us. The sun's energy warms the earth. It powers the weather. It powers the cycle of water. Sunlight enables plants to grow. It gives us fuel to burn. Without the sun, earth would essentially be a huge hunk of uninhabitable rock and ice. The sun is a staggering 93 million miles away from earth. But despite that great distance, it providentially sustains us every single day. Every moment of every day is affected by the speed in which the light comes and by the light itself. It races towards us at 186,000 miles per second. Now, while there's great importance in the light of the sun, S-U-N, there is greater importance in the light of the sun, S-O-N. And it is that sun, Jesus Christ, that we have gathered this morning to celebrate and to remember together. One of the great motifs of the Bible from beginning to end is that of the sun, the S-O-N. In particular, a way in which the Bible frequently talks about Christ is through the metaphor of light. It's so central is light in the biblical story that one theologian I read this week said, the Bible is enveloped by the imagery of light. Maybe you've noticed that if you've spent time in the Scriptures. From the very first chapter, we see these words, let there be light, to how the story begins. And to the very last book in the Bible, to the very last chapter in the last book in the Bible, we find that light obliterates darkness and God Himself promises to be our light. So light from beginning to end wraps the very story of the Bible. Given how important physical light is, perhaps it's no surprise then that light would play such a prominent role in the biblical story. Here's one example. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. So today we want to talk about light. Why light, though, on Easter? 
Well, friends, Easter is what we might call the party of light. It's the celebration of the resurrection of the light. It's the great news that the light lives. It's the great news that the light is shining even now. You see, Jesus is the light, and he referred to himself as that. This scripture won't be on the screen. I just thought of it this morning. Jesus in John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So today in this very brief time that we have together, let's think and reason with one another about what this light is. So that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And before we read the passage, give me just a moment to set up for you what's been happening in this great book called 2 Corinthians. We are are jumping in, if you will, into the middle of an extended argument that the, the Apostle Paul is making here in this letter. In the paragraph we're about to read, the Apostle Paul is refuting claims of false teachers who had crept into a church he started in the ancient city of Corinth. Corinth was in what is now Greece, and there are still ruins there today where you can go and see where the church was constructed and the city would have met. It's incredible. But apparently after Paul had left Corinth, he he went to the town. There wasn't a church there. He presented the message of light, Jesus. People believed, and so a church was formed. He stayed there for some period of time helping the Christians grow and establishing a church, and then he left to go on and do that in another city. But tragically, after he left, people masquerading as light, so people who believed a false message came in after him and were beginning to persuade the church of what you might call a different gospel, which there is only one. And so these false teachers were persuading people in the church to believe a different message, a message in which they had to add works in order to follow and trust and believe God. So news of this ran back in some way to Paul, and Paul wrote this letter, the letter of 2 Corinthians, to try and straighten things back out, to encourage people back in the way of the one true light. So let's try to uncover together what it is that he was getting at in the middle of this extended argument in which Paul is saying, here is the one true gospel, and here is what gospel ministry looks like. In the middle of that conversation, Paul uses a phrase that is just simply what we'll uncover today. It's this, that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ is the most important thing. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? Let's try to uncover what it means. Because just like you and I can't live physically without the sun's light, we cannot live spiritually without the sun's light, meaning the resurrected, risen Christ. So verse 1 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone 
to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's a quote from the very first book in the Bible, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. Now this is rather odd language, isn't it? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Even for people who frequent church and often open their Bibles, that is a rather clunky way of saying something. It's difficult language, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But this morning, I want us to ask two questions about that phrase. First, what is this light of the gospel? So what is it? What is it that Paul is describing for us this morning? And then second, how does one get it? So what is this light of the gospel? And second, how does one get it? We'll just simply try to answer those two questions this morning and then sing a little more together and then have an Easter egg hunt. (laughs) All right, so what is this light of the gospel? Well, in various parts of the Bible, light is a symbol for God, for Christ, and for the gospel. And perhaps God chose this symbol because of the qualities of light. You see, light is pure. Light is beautiful. Light does something what only light can do. Light dispels darkness. Light illuminates. It it gives life and light to important things. Light guides. Now, light in this particular passage is a way of talking about the stunning reality that the gospel illuminates. It, it throws light on the glory of God. So, in other words, the way you and I and anybody else can ever come to know who God is, what God's like, what His character is, what He has done for us, the only way to know God is for God to turn on the lights. The gospel shines a cosmic spotlight on God. It reveals God himself. You see, the light of the gospel, simply put, is the display of who God is and what God has done for us in Christ. This is the light we need more than anything else. Because without this light, we can't have spiritual life. Without this light, regardless of who you are or how much money you have, how old you are or what you've done, without this light, you are stumbling around every day in spiritual darkness, groping about trying to find life. Paul in this great paragraph is saying that he preached Christ Because Christ is the risen, reigning, illuminating disclosure of God Himself. Paul himself was once a man who had lived in darkness and was met, in his case, both literally and 
metaphorically, by the light of Christ. You see, friends, the Bible's making a staggering claim here. And that claim is that Jesus Christ is Lord, that the light of heaven is the Lord of heaven and earth, and that light can dispel the darkness of our sin, welcoming us into a restored relationship with God. This great truth is what the Bible calls the gospel. We sung about it this morning, and Tad prayed about it just a moment ago. Maybe you've heard the basic historical facts about the gospel, but if not, let me just recount them in a few sentences for you. In the first century, a man named Jesus, God himself, left heaven, became a baby, grew up as a Jewish man, lived in the perfect life of obedience to the Father. And then around the year 30 to 33, somewhere in there, A.D., he died a sacrificial death and three days later rose in victory. Forty days later, he ascended back to his Father in heaven where he reigns as king. And one day, he will return. Amen? These are the basic historical facts of the gospel. And amazingly, in this 24-hour period of Easter, somewhere around 2 billion people around the globe will gather together in dozens of languages to celebrate that basic message, the gospel message. This is the largest religion on the planet. It's incredible. Those are the basic facts of the gospel. You've probably heard them, but have you seen has the truth within, embedded in these facts, shown its light on your heart and given you life? That's what matters. Without God illuminating these facts to change our hearts, they remain just that, just facts written on pages or spoken in words. But when God turns on the light, if you will, then we find that these are more than just facts. They are the great truths through which God can change anyone. Have you seen the wonderful character of God in the gospel? It's one thing to hear these facts, but it's quite another to be overwhelmed by the reality of a risen king who is love and mercy and grace and truth itself. You see, the central message of this book the Bible, is not what we should do as human beings to appease or to acknowledge God. It's not what you must do in order to get God to quit being angry with you. The central message of the Bible is not about you at all, actually. It's that there is a good, glorious God who has graciously acted on our behalf, bringing salvation at great cost to Himself. God, you see, is an infinitely perfect God. He's always loving. He never acts in sinful rage. He's continuously just. He's in control of all things. He's above time. And yet somehow, as we are here today and individually praying, He can hear each one of us. 
This God is holy. He's all-powerful. He never changes. He always speaks the truth. And yet you and I, along with every other person who, have, who has ever lived, are obligated as the created ones to worship this Creator, to see Him and to acknowledge Him as God. And yet none of us do. On our own, sure, in different ways and to different degrees, we have all rejected His light, choosing instead to walk in darkness. Universally, we take good things that God has given us and turn them into ultimate things, making life about them, not Him. We worship stuff instead of God. This is what the Bible calls sin. Certainly is not a popular word today. But sin brings the just punishment we deserve. And that's eventually, that is a physical death and an eternity apart from God. But there's good news. There is the gospel. There is light. It's what many of you are singing about so boisterously this morning. It's the news that the glory of God is shown in the gospel, that Jesus Christ came taking on our sin. The very one who spoke the words, let there be light in the beginning. Now think about this. The very one who was existed before there was anything else, who said the words, let there be light, and physical life sprang into being, is the same one who in love stretched out his arms and died and said the words, it is finished. Meaning, the punishment that all of God's people deserved was fully met in the person of Christ as he died in our place. Why? So that all the sins of all of God's people would be resolved, would be met, would be paid for in the death of Christ. You see, as Jesus died, the punishment we deserve was put upon Him. And the holy life that Jesus had lived was put upon us. So that everyone, irrespective of what you've done, if you will come to Christ and receive this light, then your darkness is exchanged for His light. This is the gospel. This is true love. Love that is completely pure because it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Him is extended to us today through the gospel. So do you see now why the gospel is said to have a certain luminosity to it? That this man, Jesus, died in our place, rose victoriously, and is now emanating the gospel of Christ to us. This is great news. This is, in fact, the greatest news. I love the way one author put it in this little book called The Work of Christ. Do you allow me the privilege of just reading a page of it to you? It says, all this happened by divine imperative, by the command of the eternal 
omnipotent God. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The sheer power of divine command brought life into reality. The Holy Spirit was there at creation, hovering over the waters. And that same Spirit went into the tomb where the corpse of Jesus lay and brought life out of death. Early that Sunday morning, suddenly Jesus' eyelids fluttered. Brain activity began. His heart started to beat, and the blood started to course through his veins. By the power of the Spirit, he came out of the grave clothes, out of the state of death, and returned to life victorious over the grave. Many people believe the resurrection is the ultimate unbelievable miracle. Maybe you're here today and you're not so sure about this. In some ways it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? God becoming man, and then man dying, and then the God-man coming back, resurrected from the dead. Not resuscitated, but resurrected. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? It would be if it wasn't true. Skeptics say that if there is anything we know for sure, it's that when people die, they stay dead. So among the tenets of Christianity that are popularly regarded as mythical, the resurrection tops the list. However, the New Testament looks at it from a completely different perspective. In his great sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, God raised Jesus having loosening the pains of death because it's not possible that he should be held by it. You see, death had no claim over Jesus. Death is the punishment God gives to beings for sin, but Jesus was sinless. Of course, when Jesus died, he took our imputation on the cross, meaning he was filled with sin, but not his own. He was inherently sinless, and he died. He died by the authority of a death that couldn't contain him. You see, so it was not just possible for Jesus to rise again. It was impossible that he should not be raised from the dead. Because how can death hold a sinless human being? It cannot. Jesus was vindicated in the resurrection. Friends, it would be crazy if it wasn't true. You see, the reason when someone dies, they stay dead is because death is the punishment for sin. But Jesus was sinless, so it was not possible for death to contain him. Wow. Now that's our first question. What is this gospel light? Very quickly, let me answer the second. How does one get this gospel light? Think with me for a moment about physical light again, the sun's light. Sunlight is essential for life, for our lives. And yet, it is not self-generated, meaning the, the earth doesn't make its own light. We are dependent on light from somewhere else. The light of the sun shines down upon us, transforming darkness, therefore giving light. 
The exact same principle applies to spiritual light, the light of the gospel. You see, the God who created light in the beginning does the same thing in human hearts. He said in the beginning, let there be light, and the darkness was chased away. And he still says, let there be light, and your darkness can be chased away. You see, this shining light of God reveals, discloses the gospel into our hearts. You don't drum up belief in the gospel by trying really hard. You don't convince yourself it's true by obeying a bunch of rules. You don't even get the light of God by being a moral and ethical person. None of those things work. Because you see, the the problem that you and I have is not simply that we do dark things, but that we are darkness itself. And so, just like in the beginning, for there to be physical light, it had to come from somewhere else. For our darkness to change, for us to receive the gospel, there must be light from somewhere else. And the greatest news of the gospel is that God initiates His work in your life. God chooses to shine His light. The gospel illuminates the glory of God by peeling away the veil of our sin so that we can see how good God is. Many of us in this room have had that experience, right? We have come to see not merely Yes, I hear these facts of the gospel, but I believe they're true. I believe they're the the truest things I will ever hear. And so I choose to trust my life to Christ, turning from sin and turning to Him. If you haven't had that experience and you want it, then what you need is not to try hard in your own strength but simply to say, God, will you shine that light on me? Friend, are you here today and walking in darkness? Well, come to the light. Today, the sun, S-O-N, can dawn upon you. John verse 12 John chapter 12, verse 46 says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. Friend, do you believe? Do you recognize the facts? Jesus came, Jesus lived a perfect life, Jesus died in your place, Jesus rose again, Jesus is reigning now as king. If you believe that, and it, not only if you believe it, but if you're willing to trust all that you are onto those truths, onto Christ, then that means the light is already shining upon you. So all you must do is simply respond. Say, God, I, I believe and I turn myself over to you. Would you rescue me? Would you give me new life? And he will. That's the great promise of the gospel.
Maybe you didn't come today planning to respond to that message, but the light has shone. Then won't you respond? There's others here today, no doubt, who have already responded to that message. So brothers and sisters, those of you who have already been saved by the light of Christ, maybe you would say today that light that I once knew so clearly, especially in the early days of being a Christian, that light shone so brightly, seems to be a dim flicker. Where there was once a blazing sun, do you now catch only dim flickers of light way off somewhere in the vast past? If so, would you respond to the light today? Would you see by the fact that there is still a a dim flicker way off in the distance that God has been keeping you? Even though you may have been walking through a difficult season, even though God may feel far away, the light has remained. The light has been keeping you. The light has held you fast. So would you say today, God, I want you to blaze afresh and anew in my heart. I want to again walk with you as the most important person in my life. And church, because we have this light, may we be the light of Jesus to the world. The Scriptures tell us as a church that we're to be a city set on a hill, a light that can't be hidden. Tempe needs the light. So may the words that we use and the way that we live outside this room be a reflection of Christ, dawning light to Tempe so that people would praise Him. One pastor wrote this quick little poem, and I'll end with these words. Let there be light. Thus spoke the Lord. Thus we were made and thus restored. Christ's conquering word created all. Our shining hope is his sovereign call. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your light that shines so clearly from the scriptures would illuminate the gospel upon every heart today. God, that you would awaken us to the beauty of Jesus Christ and his power, his majesty, his glory, his mercy, his love. That each of us, whether we're hearing this message for the first time, or whether we have believed it for decades, that we would respond to the light. God, I pray today that people walking in darkness would be saved by responding to you. I pray that people who have done that in the past but have wandered away, been walking in sin, that, God, there would be repentance and a return to you. And, God, we pray as a church family that You would help us by your strength to walk in your light, to display as we leave this place all throughout the rest of today, this week, and indeed until you return, that we would display the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ 
by showing 